This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. What is going on, Blenders? It's Sean, and we are recording this very special bit because we have something special for you. And I'm going to say special one more time to make it a uh, trifecta. I am here, as always, with... Jake and Kevin, boys, say hello. Hello, Jonathan. Good to talk to you as always. And I, I, I want to give our listeners real fast a quick little behind the scenes thing here because like, I think people don't realize what goes into these recordings because Gabe is so great about getting us all together at a certain time. We all have different schedules. Jake's going on vacation. Sean's going on vacation. You know, everyone's doing different things. So I'm at Sean um, and I are going on vacation together. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Well, Sean, I'm at uh, my wife's father's house in Dunkirk, Maryland, oddly enough, recording this uh, podcast over a phone that is on a 3G cellular service with absolutely no Wi-Fi. So I cannot see Sean. I cannot see Jake or Gabe. So this is very awkward for me. So if this sounds a little different than usual, I can't see anything. And I feel like I'm in, like like Jake said, in the 80s. I yeah, Kevin no is recording technology. back in 1987. I, I am I am I have gone back to Stranger Things season three. I'm in 1985, and I'm that's where I'm at. I'm but it shows this the right dedication now. that we have to the podcast that we are getting together on a Saturday to record this bit because, as we promised to you guys, we have a spoiler-filled conversation with John Watts, the director of Spider-Man: Far From Home. Um, this is dropping on July 7th, which is an agreed-upon time that we have with Sony when we were able to start. Uh, sharing the spoiler talk that we had with John Watts. And literally, he would not open up about any of this stuff unless we agreed to hold it for as long as possible. It's not quite endgame level spoilers, but there are enough big things that happened in Far From Home that he was very hesitant to get into a lot of the stuff um, and actually made a joke about how his heart is racing and he kind of feels like Kevin Feige is going to step out of a closet somewhere and, and tranquilize Dartum in the neck. Um, but we ho- told him we'd hold it, so we're holding it. This is not a full-blown episode of Real Blend. It's not getting a number. It's not getting a blend game. This is strictly spoiler talk uh, about Spider-Man Far From Home uh, with John Watts, the director. So let's just let's just turn it over to that interview, and then uh, after you guys have listened to it, we'll come back around and the three of us will react to it. So again, last warning, if you have not seen Spider-Man Far From Home, Press play right now, go see it, come back, and then we will start to dive into all of the terrific reveals from the new Spider-Man movie. But until then, here's John Watts. This will be for our week after uh, play, so you can talk as freely as you want. Um, We have no intention of ruining it. I still get nervous. My heart is, like, beating so fast right now. (laughs) So we did this with the Russos, by the way. We had the exact same thing. They came in. We did this, uh, like, half-spoiler, half-down-spoiler. When we were able to finally unload, like, and talk about yeah. Endgame, like, because like, it would just... It almost blew. feels unnatural. It feels weird. Yeah. But, it feels but we held it, like like Disney said, oh, and, yeah. like, yeah, we had, like, we learned the whole thing about Iron Man's last line. It's crazy. Are right, you guys... All it's right. a totally mutual feeling, too, because I haven't got to talk to anyone about oh, this yeah. movie either. That's exactly so. what we want. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right. Uh, we are back with John Watts, the director of both Spider-Man Homecoming, and, of course, the new Spider-Man Far From Home. This is part two of our conversation with him on the Real Blend podcast. This is the one you guys have been waiting for. 
This is spoiler talk. So we are going into this assuming that you have run out opening weekend to go see the new Spider-Man movie. Uh, if you haven't yet, please go away. Come back later. Go see it. Because um, we're going to get into spoilers for this movie, of which there are a lot of really juicy things to discuss. If we didn't start here, we would not be rabid Spider-Man fans. How did you bring J. Jonah Jameson yes. to the universe yes. and make J.K. Simmons part of the MCU? It we knew we needed we knew we were gonna reveal Spider-Man's identity at the end of the movie, and it had to be through the media somehow. And then you start talking about what is the main media in Spider-Man comics, and it's, it has always been the Daily Bugle. And then so you start talking about what the Daily Bugle might be now. Uh, and then he started talking about J. Jonah Jameson, and it's like, it's got to be him. Like, there was never any discussion about it being someone else. Like, right. it's got to be J.K. Simmons. And the question was just, would he would he do it? Right, right, right. <laughs> Seems like he'd been pretty vocal about wanting to come back and do it. It, it was an amazing meeting. We, we saved that to the very, very, very end because we wanted to keep it a secret, and we didn't want somehow... I mean, none of us knew about it. No. If you, if you can yeah. keep it from three professional reporters, that's pretty good. Yeah, we shot it in just like a conference room at Marvel with like a green screen setup. It was funny because wow. it was the exact same setup that we shot essentially the kids' news from the beginning. Oh, oh really? <laughs> <laughs> Which I love that segment, by the way. As a guy that was in a high school broadcast journalism class, yeah. that, uh, you nailed it. Authentic. Man. Authentic. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's just it was just him and a desk and a green screen. And... Uh, at one point, I mean, he just launched into it, and it was amazing, because I was just watching the movie, and uh, I asked him, I said, is this weird? And he's like, it, it's a little weird. Uh, but he just stepped right back into the role, and it was, it was I had goosebumps. Um, I want to follow up on that, because I find it interesting, I'm sorry, guys. No, please. No, no, please. That, um, you know, the first Iron Man ends with Tony revealing his identity. Yeah. Right. And it created a lot of problems for him yeah. in the MCU. Mm. Um, and Peter's identity is always a secret. Like, that's yeah. significant to him. So why make this decision in the MCU to make his identity known? I thought there was a nice... Um, it was a nice comparison to what happened at the end of Iron Man because for so much of Far From Home, uh, we're having the world ask Peter, you know, are you going to be the next Iron Man? Or are you going to step up and be the next Iron Man? And he makes this decision, you know, not to be the next Iron Man, but to be the first Spider-Man. And it's Peter Parker, and nothing ever goes according to plan. So <laughs> we thought as soon as he was starting to have things figured out, we would pull the ultimate reversal on him, which is Tony chose to reveal himself to the world, right. and now this time it's it's Mysterio. Right. And it just made sense in this movie that's all about, um, about lies and deception mm. that Peter's greatest secret would get revealed. Oh, that's amazing. When you make a decision like that, you have to start figuring out how, how what kind of ripple effects that's going to have, not just on Spider-Man 3, but the rest of the MCU, or is that sort of a, like, ah, oh, that's a problem for another time? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I try to just focus on one movie at a time, and I don't want to think too much about that just yet. I want to I want to make sure we finish, finish this one, get it out in theaters for people to see. But, um, yeah, you have to keep your eye on the future always. So one thing I, I really want to do is go back and watch the film again. Um, and as we sit here, we've only seen the movie one time each. So um, in the stinger at the end of the film, the final stinger, we learned that Sam Jackson's character was actually a scroll. Yeah, and it's Talos. Yeah, it was amazing. And I'm sure Mendelssohn came in. To, that was an, it, was ama it was amazing yeah. to watch that. So I was curious um, if maybe we could walk through a couple of scenes that were you were giving us signs. Like, um, so there was a moment where I see Sam Jackson itching his eye. 
that was a tell, but I didn't know. I, I said to myself, why is he itching his eye? So can you reveal some of the, maybe like the tells you've put in for second viewings? There's so many. I mean, it, it's this, it's this fun thing where, um, where you can watch the movie again, and now that you know what's actually happening, this it's a completely different movie. Right. Like the, especially the first half of the movie up until the reveal, now that you know what's going on, you're seeing completely different things, um, things that you had never noticed before. And if you listen to basically everything that Nick and Maria are talking about throughout the movie, it makes sense as scrolls. <laughs> is he Talos in Mexico? Like right from the get-go? Yeah. Is he? Okay, interesting. I yeah. don't know about that. Uh, and if you if you listen to their dialogue carefully, you realize, oh, like they're, that's that was never Nick and Maria. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> but you're putting those things in actively because we're going to watch them a second time. Are there like, is there a, can you think of one specific really cool thing that you maybe like we can look out for in our second viewing that would give us a really co- like good view into that twist coming? For, for the, for the scroll yeah. twist? Yeah. Um, it blows right by, but there's one moment where where Nick Fury, quote unquote, is talking about Cree uh, sleeper cells. Yes, I heard, I heard that, that line. line too. I heard yeah. that line. I was like, "What the heck?" Because he's been off camera for a while. That's yeah, right. And it's, in, it's, is it in London? Yeah, yeah or it's when they're at, uh, in Europol in, oh. uh, in Berlin, yeah, 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 yeah. right before they find out about the uh, beginning of the London attacks. And <laughs> but it's also Nick Fury though, so every line had to make sense for both characters because we didn't want to give it away. But everything had to work as like a double meaning. That's wild. You know, in the timeline where Nick Fury goes on vacation. And uh, I don't know specifically when, but I I believe that it. That's real Nick Fury at Tony's funeral. At the funeral. So that, so yeah. that is Nick Fury. So sometime yeah. between the funeral yeah. and Mexico, that he happened. Took his, he took his break. And so when he says, bitch, please, you've been to space, that's Talos pretending to be Nick Fury. Yeah. And oh, you wow. yeah. Nick Fury impersonation. Yeah, yeah. And and, and and Talos is good. You know, they're a shape-shifting race. So, like, they really know how to do a good job. Right, and they're right. doing that stuff. So I would always laugh thinking about the conversation that they had. <laughs> Where Fury is like downloading him on what he has to do and what sort of he knows and what he doesn't know. Right. Like there's this whole off-screen relationship. Well, especially because uh, there were all these rumors that so many of the shots of Captain Marvel were Pulp Fiction references. Which which we had the cinematographer yeah. said Ben Davis said it wasn't so, it was a coincidence. Yeah. Like Sam in the car, Ben uh, drinking the, the yeah. milkshake. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, I've the, never seen that, but I totally I could see like, that. Like it's ex- <laughs> it's almost exact. If you put the side by side of Ben sipping the soda and then back to Pulp Fiction, it's like exact. Oh wow. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's almost okay. exact. Yeah. Uh, well we did ours intentionally. So that's yeah. a different <laughs> All right, so you bring up the multiverse mm-hmm. and it got a lot of people very excited. Yeah. <laughs> but it's a bait and switch. Yeah. Um, but what does that mean in terms of opening the door or, you know, at least putting that word out there? Because, I mean, Earth 616 gets mentioned. Like, these are terms that yeah. are very important. People were giving me such a hard time about Earth 616 where they were like, that's not the MCU universe. That's the comic universe. Right, and right. I was like, it's all bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's a, it's a con. It's a scam. He's just making up. He doesn't know. Is it, um, how hard is part of your job just staying silent while people are flipping out in the comment section? It's nice. Like, I'm not sure I could do it. It's really, it's really fun. Like, you, it's like... It's just like wait for the movie. You, you know, essentially all... are Mysterio. You created an illusion for us yeah. in that first. That's what 30 all movies minutes. are. Yeah, all exactly. movies are, you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, an illusion. But um, the, I do. Th- so about the multiverse thing. I mean, people were really excited about it, and we're not saying that there couldn't be a multiverse sure. in this movie. We are saying that what Jake is saying, uh, what Mysterio is saying in the movie, is bullshit. But uh, there's something that I that that I think about is that the fact that. Nick Fury, who's actually Talos, 
completely believes this story about the multiverse <gasps> makes me wonder. Uh, now this is off book now, but yeah. like, does that mean that Talos is aware of some sort of multiverse? Because right. there sense to him. Yeah. Yeah. Now, do you like, know the answer to that question? No, no, no. I, this, <laughs> this is fan fiction yeah. uh, world for me. But I was like, well, he'd seem to accept it. Yeah. A random question. <laughs> That's great. That's great. There's a great moment in the film where um, a joke is made about a pay-per-view movie that um, that uh, yeah. Tom would have ordered. Do you know that, or Peter would have ordered? Do you know what that title was, or just, is it just a joke about him ordering a porn <laughs> film or an adult film? We there were some. You know, we always like to have some alts. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't remember. Oh, that's a lie. That's were, they, a lie. were they graphic? There were there were many alts. Just give us one. Just give us one. I can't remember. I, 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 were they were they Spider Man puns? Like like sex puns? We love good puns. <laughs> no, I'm not saying anything. About that. that was not John Watts. Um, so you know, I, I've always been fascinated with by nature of our job, sitting across from people who somewhere in their head have answers to massive like. Things that yeah. would just drive the world nuts if they knew them, and, and yeah. I feel like we have that right. Like whenever you know you went for years knowing Infinity War secrets and Endgame secrets, yeah. do you know any Phase Four secrets right? Like right now, do you know any secrets about what's to come? Yeah, wow. he has to be well, like, set it up. Yeah, so, so yeah. you, so there were things that you've set up in this film that we don't even maybe don't even realize that you've set up because of what's to come. Or you're just asking, what, what do I know? Yeah, I mean, I, I know, I know some, I know some Phase Four yeah. secrets. <laughs> So this is, <laughs> this is the spoiler section. So it's okay. You can, you can, you can. I can't spoil Phase Four. I can only, <laughs> Even that's I'm only allowed to spoil my own movie. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? We're sitting across from someone that knows I things know. that are happening in yes. Phase Four. Yeah, no, I know. That that just blows my I'm mind. I'm going like, to speak to Kevin. The answers are right there. Foggy later, and yeah. he really knows. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's having yeah. that. Yeah. Um, but but to that end, uh, when when we remember when Bart. Uh, Simpson goes to the Mad Magazine headquarters on The Simpsons. Yes, I do. In New York, that. do you remember that one? Yes. And he like looks in the door, and it's just like it's exactly what you would expect. Yeah. You know, yeah. uh, that's sometimes what it feels like working uh, at Marvel. You're like walking through the hallways, and you like peek around the corner into a conference room, and there's all these tantalizing hints of what could come and then someone slowly pushes the door. <laughs> John's entire it's house like a, it's is like a Godfather bugged. scene. Yeah. <laughs> um, w- when we spoke for Homecoming, the intention at the time was to give uh, him a, a, a film for each year of high school. And yeah. you're still on track for that. But because of Tom's age and everything too, d- does it feel like you need to get going pretty soon to do senior year? I think so, before Tom has a, a mustache. Yeah. <laughs> yes. A child of his own. To be fair, it took me 31 years ago to grow a mustache. So yeah, this is about 12 years of growth. Yeah, it's yeah, eternally yeah. youthful. We're yeah. trying to avoid the... You, you can know. only blip people so many times. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, when we started Homecoming, it was like, it was a lot less complicated math. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But people pay really close attention to all of that now. Yeah. So. so I think, uh, I want to mention this in a comparison. I think one of the most brilliant scenes I've seen in the entire MCU top five is the Keaton sequence in the car in Homecoming yeah. when essentially he knows who Peter Parker is. That scene blew my mind. Similarly here, when we get the reveal of Hall and he's in that like play space creating his oh, illusion. Um, awesome. Those were amazing sequences. Can you talk about filming those? Talk about Jake wearing a mocap suit, essentially. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and just kind of what that was like to have illusions within a movie that's already an illusion to begin with. I mean, you're, it's kind of like Inception, like layers of illusions. Yeah. But you talk about just filming those scenes and how you were, uh, how you filmed that reveal knowing like that was such a big deal. Um, when Jake is doing the illusion rehearsal, 
that was the easiest scene in the whole movie for really? me to film because he's just being a director. He's just directing the third act of the movie. Yeah, you know, yeah. he's like, he's running through it again and fly, 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 zap, zap, zap. Is that how you would direct the scene? Did you kind of put yourself into that? You'd have to ask Jake if he's doing an impression of me, but like <laughs> Jake's worked with so many great, amazing directors. I feel like he must've been channeling uh, some of those people in that moment because it's just, you know, he's just, re he's just, he's just practicing the third act of the movie that he's making. Yeah. You know? Wow. So that was like, that was the easiest scene. It was second nature. I think to both of us. And then the mocap, it is supposed to be a mocap looking type suit, right? Yeah. Um, Which is kind of a deep cut, like filmmaking type cut there. Because I, I know that stuff because I love yeah. filmmaking. But that's interesting that you chose that look. Well, so much of what Jake is doing in the movie is not that far away from what you do when you're doing a big VFX movie. Yeah. You know, he's generating these hyper-realistic digital characters. And uh, it's a lot like the interplay with VFX and SFX where, you know, you have some guy on set rigging something up with pyro to explode so you get a realistic fireball and do real damage and then later you add a digital molten man on top of that you know mm -hmm. smashing his fist through it so that's how we thought about uh, all of Mysterio's illusions as this combination of digital and uh, realistic uh, digital and practical effects and then the idea that Jake would have this this flying avatar Mysterio <laughs> Uh, it made sense that he would have some sort of suit where if he needed to mimic and control that digital avatar, it would be able to track his body movement. So wow. why might as well put him in a mocap suit. Wow. Wow. We just seen this last night. This is us. We looked at go, holy shit, this is amazing. <laughs> and you have to think of, the. I really liked uh, talking about how the handoffs would go, where like when the digital Mysterio would land, yeah. yes. and it would become the real... Jake, or the real Quentin Beck, that's why he has his own practical quick change armor that he has to wear. So, like, when you think of the scene, this is why watching the movie a second time is really fun. When you think of the scene, here's here's something to look for if you watch the movie again. There's a lot of little things, but this one I always liked. Um, when uh, Mysterio and Spider-Man are talking to each other on the roof in Prague, yes. and they're having the, that heart-to-heart -heart moment, um, digital... Mysterio flies up and is talking to Peter and then sits down and then the helmet opens. Right. And then that is then real Beck. Okay. So if you look at that scene, when you're looking at Peter, there's a door that's open right behind Peter. And that's there intentionally because the real Mysterio was behind Peter walking up and sitting onto uh, the, uh, the, 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 the little ledge there next to him, and that's where the digital and the what? real Beck merge. Yeah, that's, awesome. yeah. <laughs> that's very cool. I feel like this is like the sixth sense of Marvel movies where I have to go back. This is insane. <laughs> there's a there's a lot of weird little things like that. All right, so we, we want to do one more. Uh, How much time? Oh, you can have one more question. All right, one more question. Right, yeah. All right, this is you. Uh, a lot of pressure, see. man. Come on, so much pressure. I want to ask about Night Monkey, but I'll let that go. <laughs> I guess um, I, we're down to the Silver Age um, villains still at this point. Yeah. Uh, uh, you get Vulture and Shocker, you tease Scorpion. Um, in conversation you guys are having, not saying, you know, what the next ones yeah. would be, but would the choice be to still stay with villains we haven't seen on screen before or has enough time passed? There was a rumor going around on fan sites that, like, at the end we're going to see Oscorp and Norman's finally going to come back. And um, I'm glad you didn't, but I'm wondering, like, what's the thought process on terms of villains we've seen in the franchise already in previous iterations and when you can play with them. Yeah, you, you always start by 
trying to show people something that they haven't seen before, unless you have a really good reason, I think, to um, to, to bring back someone we've seen before. Uh, Spider-Man has such a great rogues gallery that there's a lot still, I think, to draw from. I mean, we also put Cyclone, Molten Man, and Hydro Man in this movie <laughs> in a very roundabout way. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, I like... Um, and Sandman? Was Mexico Sandman? Technically, yeah, you could uh, say yeah. that's like Sandman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thomas Hayden Church mocap that. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uncredited. Yeah. Right. Um, but, yeah, no, I, I, it's, always, it's always about trying to find something new and, and, um, and just trying to push the envelope there. But I don't know. I don't know who it could be next Cool. What was your Night Monkey thing real fast? Did you want, you want to... No, I just want to know where it came from. Yeah, but that was cool. It's, it's a great running joke. And... Uh, it was just like, what is the dumbest thing? <laughs> and he's because dre he's dressed in black and he's like swinging around uh, like a monkey swinging on vines. <laughs> so that's what Ned would think of. That's it's amazing. a Night Monkey. Yeah. That's awesome. John, thank you. Yeah, yeah thank you guys. So, thank you. Thanks for letting us nerd out. Yeah, yeah, yeah like, me too. Like, I it's, wish, yeah. it's totally I wish you could have seen mutual. footage of Sean and I's faces last night. Yeah, photo. Oh yeah, that we all yeah, sat together and, and we were... said Peter Tingle and then went into that continuous oh, shot. Tingle. Oh, I literally flipped out of my yeah, chair. Yeah, that's really like, cool. That was like, the coolest thing ever. What an amazing conversation with John Watts. It's so fun to be able to talk to a filmmaker, especially one tied to a project that has a lot of secrets that they're clearly sitting on. And uh, Kevin mentioned this in the previous episode. Kevin, I want you to sort of elaborate on this. The body language and the the change in voice that happens when a filmmaker who's been sitting on secrets for a long period of time is finally able to speak out loud at length about it. We kind of saw John Watts unwind as we went longer and longer in the conversation. You, Kevin, you were saying you, you witnessed that happen basically in person. Yeah, I mean, that was the crazy part about doing this interview. And then Sean and I were doing the interview with the Russos because... Like there's a there's a it, in the society we live in now with the movies that are coming out today. Spoiler uh, spoilers are a very gigantic thing that people are walking on eggshells to not ruin for people. Same with these filmmakers and a lot of these Avengers movies that we cover from a press junket perspective. We do not generally get to see the movie beforehand, especially the Avengers Infinity War, Avengers Endgame. So we did those interviews um, on for TV junket wise without having even seen the film. So. This situation was a little different because Sean, Jake, and I were at a junket where we had all seen the film. Um, but at this point, you know, three weeks before release, John had not talked to anybody, at least, but this is what he told us on a journalistic side about spoilers. So um, if you listen to the change, the Russo interview is a great example of this. If you listen to the change from spoiler talk to uh, non spoiler talk to spoiler talk, you will hear an, a complete adjustment in the way that Anthony and Joe just talk loosely about their film. And so John Watts, who was amazing to us in the beginning of the interview, you've already heard the non-spoiler discussion. He was still great, but I think there was like, he even said, Sean, I think he said to all of us, like I have not talked about this yet with anybody on right. a journalistic level. Right. Yep. I mean, he said that to us. <clears throat> yep. Very, very true. And it was, so of course we had to start with the J Jonah Jameson reveal and I will never, I've, I've now seen that, a second time, I will also admit to the fact that that scene is up on YouTube, and I found no. it yesterday. Yeah, it's up no, on it's YouTube. not. No. Really? It is. There's a bootleg copy oh. with um, Japanese subtitles or Chinese subtitles, and I watched it a couple of times yesterday <laughs> afternoon. And what amazes me is knowing that they shot that with J.K. Simmons in a Marvel conference room with just a desk and a green screen. Like that cracks me up. 
Uh, and he, Here's what he I says, don't understand. Can I ask you a question, Sean? Because sure. yeah, you're a sure. big Spider-Man fan. So yeah. I'm curious, and this is this all maybe kind of boils down to the whole multiverse thing. Um, that J.K. Simmons, that yes. guy who runs the Daily Bugle, that is not... Uh, I know Raimi had him in the movie, and that was a different universe, but... Does that mean that both those J.K. Simmonses could potentially meet and or are they the same person? I'm very confused by that. Uh, no, I just think I think it's a totally different J. Jonah. I don't think that this world, the MCU, has any connection to the Raimis. Uh, it's exactly what John Watts just said. They they knew they wanted to bring J. Jonah Jameson as a character into the MCU. And when they surveyed the landscape of which actors you'd want to play him, it, it only made sense um, to just bring J.K. Simmons back, knowing that it's probably going to cause a little bit of a, hey, wait a second, does that mean that he's... But but it's not. He's just <laughs> he's just the right guy to play J. Jonah Jameson. Um, and I truly hope... My only fear is that it's a one-off. I don't want it to be a one-off. Like, if you're doing a third Spider-Man movie now and he's in New York and the Daily Bugle is a big part of it, you got to bring him back. Like, he, I mean, he was at the premiere the other day, so I feel like... That bothered me, too. It was a little bit of a spoiler now, for people. is that not a spoiler when he shows up to a premiere like yes! that, though? Is that a spoiler? It's a huge spoiler. I don't know why they let him come to that. I mean, you going to tell him no? I mean, after he agrees to come back? I mean, I... I, I... <sighs> I don't know. I, I feel like it's it's kind of fine. I mean, he wants to do it. He wants to go. He wants to enjoy himself. I guess they they pull it off as well. He's tied. He's to part the of the legacy, and he wants to go. I mean, and also like a lot of celebrities go to premieres that have nothing to do with the movie, other than the fact that they just want to go and see the movie. Sure. Yeah. But I'll when say I this saw though. That, oh, good. In regards to all those spoilers, though, I I know Sean, you think it's a huge deal. I don't. I don't even think that's not even top five spoilers of the movie overall. Like it, it's a big spoiler, but I don't think that that's a game changing spoiler like some of the other ones are. Like the reveal of Peter Parker, um, the uh, Samuel L. Jackson twist, the Mysterio twist. I mean, the J.K. Simmons thing is almost like a nod, in my opinion, to the franchise. Yeah, it's, yeah. It, no. it doesn't seem like it's like life changing spoiler. You know what I mean? Sean, you've now seen it twice. Uh, right. How does? that um, Nick Fury scroll twist, which we had hesitation about after seeing it the first time. How does it play once you know that the second time? It's still, to me, a, an unnecessary joke. Um, and, and I guess thematically, it plays into two different things. One, the the hero, a hero, just needs a vacation after the events of Infinity War and Endgame. And for the duration of Far From Home, it's Spider-Man, but it's also Nick Fury. Nick Fury just needs to go off the grid for a little while. He just doesn't want to be Nick Fury, if you think about it. And he essentially hands it over to Talos and says, hey, deliver this, deliver these glasses to Spider-Man. Um, and but I, the thing that bothered me, which doesn't bother me as much anymore, is that why would Talos and the other Skrull who's with him playing Maria Hill be investigating these elementals? Uh, you'd think the first thing they would do is bring the glasses to Spider-Man and be done with their mission and then get off the grid, essentially. But the opening line in the movie is Maria Hill saying to Nick Fury, like, why are we even here? This is not part of our mission. And he says, look, the cyclone shows up in Mexico. It's got a face. I think we should check it out. And when you now watch it, knowing that they're scrolls and not S.H.I.E.L.D. agents... It makes sense in the beginning when you're watching it because you're like, all right, well, of course they'd be investigating it. But she's clearly saying, hey, let's stay on mission, bring the glasses to Peter, because that's what Nick told us to do. So it all does hold together and it adds up. But I think when you get to the end and it's a reveal that, hey, they weren't really Nick Fury the whole time, it's still just, to me, a joke 
that. Oh, and the second theme being, yes, a hero needs a vacation, but also everything you're looking at is an illusion or a misdirection. And that plays into Mysterio being the villain. You mentioned illusion, Sean, uh, and this is like, I guess, I feel like John Watts here for the first time where I can actually finally talk about why I love this movie so much. Oh, yeah. And, you know, that's the whole thing is uh, when we first saw this film, like, I looked over at Jake 20 minutes in and I was like, I don't know how I feel about this tone. It just seems strange to me. Everything felt off. Um, And then once the Mysterio reveal happens that he's been putting on these illusions, he's essentially a filmmaker within the film. Um, making movies of like gigantic action sequences that are that are people think they're fighting, um, it just blew my mind. I, I, it was like a really cool concept for a villain. I loved um, almost taking a behind the scenes look at Mysterio's art form, like what he was doing. He was like having them speed up the action scenes. Like it was really <laughs> fascinating to watch. So. It kind of blew my mind on a level where I wasn't loving the film at first, and then I realized why I wasn't loving it, because we were being tricked. It was an illusion. I mean, think about the beginning scene of the film. That's all an illusion to to lure in Nick Fury and Kobe Smulders' character. Um, and then the idea of these action scenes. I mean, it was just kind of like a really interestingly, like really meta look into filmmaking. And I think that it's kind of cool. And I think we asked John, I'm not sure if it's in the in the interview that we just listened to that we that we have as a spoiler talk about like Jake Gyllenhaal's character kind of being being John Watts like being the filmmaker within that world um and I think that's a really cool concept I I, that that to me growing up magic was if you think if you think about the questions that I ask it in interviews they're very surrounding how you how'd you pull off this shot and things like that so that's that comes from my love of magic and illusions I always loved how magicians pulled things off I always wanted to know how they did it so to have the illusion element within the action of a Spider-Man movie, that's why it became my favorite Spider-Man movie of all time. It's so well done. So I was able to talk to Hall after he told us, uh, after John Watts told us that he thinks Jake was channeling a filmmaker, a specific filmmaker, yeah. and he had, Jake Hall laughs and he admits that he was. And I asked yeah. him, well, can you tell me who, who it was? And he said, no, I can't tell you who it was. Oh, <laughs> so do you think it was Denis? It might have been Denis. I, I got to go back and check and say, I don't even know who directed his Fincher? Prince of Persia. I mean, he could be Prince of Persia director. Like, I, I'm thinking it's like a big tentpole director, like an Emmerich or some such. Oh, Jake Gyllenhaal worked with Emmerich on The Day After Tomorrow. Oh, that's true. So I kind of envision it as more like a, Not a blockbuster type guy. Yeah, he's asked, he's worked with a bunch of people yeah. that uh, it very easily could have been him mimicking. But I think it I was think- I think it was a cool director. He would have name dropped him. <laughs> Oh, interesting. If it's someone he's a little bit embarrassed to say that he was mimicking. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. I see what you're saying. Yeah, but I also like the idea that Fincher, like I remember talking to Gyllenhaal for this film, and it is pretty insane to think about how Fincher was kind of locked into the MCU early on with having Ruffalo and and Downey and and, uh, Gyllenhaal and Zodiac. Yeah. uh, But yeah, it is fascinating. Like, like, and also one of the cool things about Mysterio is he's wearing an, a, kind of an homage to a performance capture suit that we all know and love. Jake and I wore one when we went to uh, New Zealand to go yeah, to Atlanta. So, <laughs> yeah, I just thought it was kind of cool. I don't know. For me, it was like there was something. And when he goes into Peter Tingle, that like yeah. that um, that one shot into the dark space and then catches the bullet. I mean, that stuff to me, that is the best action Spider-Man has ever been involved in. Um, and, you know, I, I'm, I'm talking about I liked it better than the action in Civil War in the sense of I love Civil War. 
but Spidey himself, his own action sequences, well, that was it was the best thing he's ever done. Ever. As someone who analyzes these films, the Spider-Man films in particular, um, from every frame, what I'm saying is uh, the two, Homecoming and, and Far From Home, you watch him evolve as a hero so much more than he ever did in the, in the previous Sony films in that and I watched the scene even this morning where Downey um, is stepping out of the suit after the Staten Island ferry thing. And yeah. Downey actually says to him, like, everyone else told me I was crazy for recruiting a 14 year old kid. And Peter's like, I'm 15. And he's like, no, zip it. This is the time where the adults yeah. talk. Love that. And I was like, dang, he's 15, you know? And in this one, he's 16. And he says that repeatedly, he's like, look, everyone thinks I'm going to be the next Iron Man when he turns the glasses over to Mysterio. He's like, everyone thinks it should be me. I'm only a 16-year-old kid from Queens. Like, it should be someone who's more experienced. But because he gets betrayed by Mysterio, because he screws up and gives him the uh, Edith glasses, he's better, you know, at fighting him in London and mastering the Peter Tingle. And then he gets to New York City by the end of Far From Home. It's an evolution of the character that gets me so excited about where they can go. And then you do this. I know you say that the Jonas Jameson thing was like a nod. The J. Jonah Jameson thing is a nod. But it's not just him showing up. It's the the identity of Peter being out yes. there now. Everybody that's knows. That's the moment. Everyone yeah. knows. That's Yeah, that's the moment. And well, also, Sean, how somebody, does that affect the Avengers moving forward? Uh, that's a great question. Um, because, yeah. Uh, well, the one thing we talked about with John, and then I was able to bring it up with Feige also, is that how I thought I'd, that I'd mirrored. love to hear that interview sometime. <laughs> I'll have to, I'm going to have to play it for you over my phone, apparently, because it's not going to make the airwaves of a Real Blend podcast. Um, they both said, I said to each of them, hey, this mirrors, you know, the end of Iron Man, where Tony stands in front of the media and reveals his identity. And they both said that for Tony, it's a choice. Uh, and for Peter, it's it's foisted on him, essentially, by an enemy. Um, and And that they're really excited to explore how that affects Peter in, in different ways than it would have affected Tony when it happened to him in Iron Man two and three. So I think the most fascinating thing about Spider-Man, and I think, I think Raimi captured this really well with Toby. And I think that it's even captured better here. And I, uh, and I know this is not, I'm not like saying anything new here, but to me, the best thing about Spider-Man is that, is that, is that childlike innocence of somebody who wants to actually live a normal life, but he loves the idea that he's part of the Avengers group. But I mean, he does also want to, be with MJ. He also wants to be able to go off and have a trip without having to fight bad guys. And I think one of the cool things about Far From Home, they really hone in on that aspect of, his, of, of that struggle, that internal struggle that Peter's having. And I think, to me, that coupled with him dealing with the loss of Tony Stark and all that, like it, it, it's emotionally a very fascinating movie from that regard. And then you couple it together with all the illusion stuff with Joan Hall. Um, and it just like, to me, it was just like, it was just so well-rounded. Well, um, and, and, I th- and I think it's just a fascinating structure for a film. There's two scenes in this movie that, that feel like tremendous Spider-Man scenes. Um, one is when MJ asks him to uh, share opera glasses and she says she's going to hold a seat for him. And you know, when you were a teenage boy who liked a girl <laughs> And she wanted to sit next to you at a school class event or some such. Like, your heart was just fluttering, right? But Peter's got to leave. He has to go because Nick Fury's telling him to get into position. And that's the dichotomy of Spider-Man. Like, his responsibility is always going to be, no, you got to go fight the bad guy, even though this girl you're borderline interested in is finally showing interest in you. And he has to leave that moment. I love that moment. That's, and Holland sells that so beautifully. Also, in the um, tulip field, 
after he's just had his reality completely rocked by Mysterio and Happy shows up and Peter doesn't know if it's really happy or not. Right. And it leads to a joke about the adult film like, oh, you rented an adult film and you were in Germany. But Peter's fear of that, of just like, am I really seeing you? Are you real? Because I just got completely tricked by a villain and I don't know what's real anymore. Those are great, great character beats. Um, And Homecoming had a lot of them, but those are the ones in Far From Home that stand out to me of like, boy, Marvel just gets Spider-Man. The reason I love Far From Home, though, is is primarily because of Mysterio, though. Yeah. Like, I think he's one of the coolest, I guess we can say it now, villains that I've seen in a superhero movie. And again, I get that maybe it's a little biased on my part because I love illusions and magic, but there was just something so uniquely interesting about his character. Like, you know, we've seen so many gigantic CGI fights, but the reason why this was CGI is because it was all made up. And I think that's kind of a cool, I don't know, it just really kind of, it was fresh. I had never seen anything like that before in a, in a, in a, in a superhero film. It was interesting. All right. Well, I want to know what you guys think about Far From Home. Obviously, uh, hopefully you've made it this far because you were able to see it. So head over to our social channels. Uh, let us know. Uh, let us know what you thought about the interview. Obviously, we love doing interviews with filmmakers like this when we get to go to junkets. It's so much fun when the three of us are all together. We're also going out of our way to try to get more people onto the Skype channel and promote uh, films that are in theaters right now. We love getting... Uh, I think they're better in this format, and I want people who are listening to this to sort of weigh in. You can weigh in with a review. You can weigh in on the social media channel. When we hold things for after more people have seen the film, and it allows us, because I think all three of us want to get into a place where we're talking about these films you know, in sort of a deeper dive analysis, because we can talk openly about things that you guys have seen and might have questions about, as opposed to seeing things early and sort of prepping them, which is a lot of stuff that we have to do in the junket scenarios. When we have TV rooms, we're not we're asking questions that are teasing the films uh, without giving deep dives. So we hope to continue to do, uh, you know, a mix of both where we get some people on who clearly want to promote their film, but then also get some people uh, who are joining the podcast who want to go in depth in terms of the filmmaking process and, and, uh, and how they put these things together. So this has been the end of our John Watts spoiler filled conversation on behalf of far from home. We will be back very shortly uh, with a full on review, a traditional review, uh, a traditional episode of the podcast. And, um, and we hope to have a very special guest that um, we're all staying on to record with in a minute. Gabe, should I tell him who it is or should I wait and see that it definitely happens? Um, Gabe says, wait and see. All right. Well, y'all have to wait and see then who it's going to be. And uh, so the next time you hear us, we'll be back here with a full on episode. Sean. Yes, Kevin. Uh, Well, I'll at least tease it and we'll say it's the, it's, it's a, it's a filmmaker from the most feel good movie of the year. We we can tease it like that, right? right. Yeah, that makes sense. I think that's fair. Okay, cool. All right, good. Yes, it's a, it's heartwarming. You guys will, you guys will appreciate that. Beautiful. Yeah. yeah. Boys, uh, say goodbye. Adios. Dunkirk. There we go. Dunkirk. Hey, Drew Scott here, and I'm Jonathan Scott, reminding you that life's better with a home policy from American Family Insurance. They can help you get just the right protection at just the right price and help you save when you bundle home and auto. Kind of like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. It'll be just right for you. We love a custom build. American Family Insurance. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. Get a quote and find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.